This Dharma Talk was presented at the Austin Zen Center in Austin, Texas. For more information, visit austinzencenter.org. Good morning. Is this, does this count as morning still? Hi. Sorry that there's a computer. We're in the age of the Zen Jumbotron. Oh, so today's a session day, so that's why some of you feel like you're in strange places. And while and there's less sounds telling you what's happening. I think a couple of folks uh, actually gave up at some point and went home. <laughs> no, not from Sashin, but from the public, coming into the public program to participate in the public program that didn't manifest as it usually does. I was like, what is going on? Uh, when I was in my early 20s, I think maybe I was 22 or 23. Um, I think I was 21, 22, because before I went to Japan, there was a Tonto at the San Francisco Zen Center. So the Tonto is like the head of practice. They're kind of like the, um, not the abbot, but the person that's more or less kind of uh, effectively overseeing the training that's happening at that particular temple. And her name was Tia Strozer. And she had been Tonto for kind of longer than anyone had ever been Tonto. She, like, I think like a decade or something like that. So this would have been like 2003 or so. And um, she gave her final talk as Tonto. And from what I remember, she more or less wept the whole time. And being a young person, socialized male in, you know, central California, rural central California, I'm kind of like, I don't, I, I don't understand what this is, you know? And almost like, I, I, this might be upsetting to me, you know? Now, if it were, you know, a person with a really chiseled jaw, like waving a stick around, you know, and talking about, you know, how we must crush our bones to attain the way. <laughs> the young male condition, you know, me would be like, yeah, that's the stuff. You know, but someone uh, actually uh, crying because they're sad was something that I felt a little bit averse to. Which is really interesting. Really interesting. And I'm so glad uh, I... I'm not the same person and that I don't have the same views that I used to have. Yeah. Um, the, uh, you know, there's a lot of phrases that we use in Zen, kind of like uh, the lion's roar of the Dharma. You know, and it's really easy to buy into that and think that it looks uh, valorous in the ways that we are kind of conventionally taught valorous looks, which is um, usually uh, violent and destructive, actually. And to see um, someone uh, sitting on a platform in front of a few dozen people and crying because they're sad, you know, and to think of that's 
that's a lion's roar of the Dharma. You know? Because um, this is sad, you know, being a person. A lot of times when I meet with people one-on-one, you know, it's tricky because people are confused about why life hurts, you know, or think that there's some kind of personal deficit that is what is responsible for life hurting. And if I figured out how to relate to things properly, then they wouldn't hurt. And so there is this teaching that um, the field in which our emotional life is arising in is very, very boundless and is much broader than we think it is all the time. And so to have an experience of that in our practice of this broadness of mind, this broadness of the field in which experiences arise. And when you have the experience of the broadness, the um, impact of the um, tender experiences of being a person are not an expression of bleakness. You know, or an expression of hopelessness, or an expression of a dead-end life, or something like that. It's the texture of this very, very rare thing that we get to be engaged in, um, which is being an embodied consciousness. And so, as practitioners, it's not like... You know, Buddhism is meditation, and I do this one thing of meditation. You know, Buddhism is this whole spectrum of ways of orienting your life. You know, and there are tons of Buddhists that do not sit zazen, or do not cross their legs at all. But they're still very much engaged with Buddhist practice. Because Buddhist practice is using any set of traditional methods to discern appearance and reality and then in the Mahayana tradition discern appearance and reality and meet all beings with love so Zazen is one of the ways that we do that service is one of the ways that we do that dusting is one of the ways that we do that bowing to people when you meet them is one of the ways that we do that you know? all of these things are to orient your life towards discerning appearance and reality. Not necessarily appearance from reality, because it's not that they're different things. But seeing what's an appearance and seeing what's reality. They may overlap, they may not. And to meet all beings with love. The meeting all beings with love is what prevents us from getting so excited about the big mind that we opt out of the felt experience of any of the tender emotions of being a person. Because that makes us um, kind of irrelevant to our community. 
and to opt out of the tender experiences of being a person by way of orienting continually towards the big mind is to not understand the big mind. You know, to think that emptiness is the opposite of the particularities is to not understand emptiness and not understand particularities. Particularities are the texture of emptiness. So heartbreak is a texture of emptiness, and emptiness is not this opt-out of heartbreak. But then when the heartbreak is felt in the context of a manifest arising of emptiness that's going to you know, arise, abide, and cease, just like everything, just like our very selves, then it can be experienced, fully felt, and it is not cataclysmic, and it is not the end of your being, you know. And it is not bad, negative feedback about who you are. Um, I realized today why I've been avoiding doing traditional sessions. Um, And I've been doing my little koji sessions, which are like, you know, sit for 25 minutes, I'll I'll give you a guided meditation, and then go, go walk around for... 15 minutes and then come back and then we'll stretch it. I've been doing these like kind of koji sessions and then kind of my peers that are, you know, kind of my priestly peers are kind of like, don't you miss doing the thing? You know, and I'm like, and I'm like, yeah, yeah, okay, I'll do the thing. And then I started, you know, tweaking the thing and it's also hard because I'm coming in a little bit cold. I'm coming in a little bit out of practice and from out of town. I was just in Japan for two weeks and then I did like this weird overnight flight and then I was in like San Francisco for 24 hours and then I came here and I've been sleeping like five hours a night and then I'm trying to orchestrate this thing and I don't know if I've been making proper use of the help that's been offered to me. Um, I think I think I know what I'm doing and I'll come up with an idea that I think is a really ingenious, innovative idea and then all of the reasons that that is not the way we do things starts to <laughs> manifest. <laughs> you know? So we go out into the kitchen after the meal, and Jess goes, so who's doing the dishes? And I'm like, shit. <laughs> um, and uh, we sit down for the you know this weird kind of long period with an interval bell before the Dharma talk, because... The people that are in Sashim, we already did service, and we're not doing service again for the public folks. So we're doing this long period. And, um, and there's people sitting upstairs, and then the Eno Chris comes up to me and he says, do the people upstairs know that we're not doing service? And I go, shit. And I said, well, we'll all face center, and we'll have this center row. And then we, at one point pulled all the little placemats out and we realized that they left two inches for the servers to walk down the aisles. And I thought, shit. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm really... Um, I, I can honestly say I, I'm not terribly concerned about whether or not you love me. But I do want you to love what we're doing here, and I feel a lot of responsibility, you know. So, I 
hope it doesn't sound too self-serving when I request that, um, you know, when there's people on the swings at night talking about what the best uh, sun sign is. <laughs> Loud as the dickens. You know? Um, or when I spill brown rice cereal on your finger and I'm putting it in the bowl. Or I tell you, you're supposed to hand me your bowl and it sounds like I'm mad at you or something like that. I don't mean to. I'm just I'm trying to be quiet. I'm trying to get to the point. You know? So, um, and with all of this happening, I think about that original question of all my kind of priest peers, like, don't you miss doing the thing? And I'm like, actually, this is exactly the thing. You know, this is exactly our, uh, uh, you know, one of the phrases that they use in, in uh, Japan is our family way of the lineage, the, the style of the lineage of Zen that you're practicing in. You know, we call it our family way. There's sometimes, poetically, they'll say, the wind of this house. You know, so this house of Zen has, the, has a certain wind that moves through it. And the wind that moves through it is that feeling of a bead of sweat going down between your shoulder blades. You know, or, you know, the snot kind of coming down to the corner of your mouth and you're trying to decide whether you wipe it away or not. Or um, feeling rushed with eating or trying to figure out, does the setsu bag go on top of the napkin or does the napkin go on top? Or isn't there supposed to be a third cloth here? No. All of that feeling is the wind of the family house. Because we're not trying to curate um, this thing that makes you forget that you're a person. It makes you forget that you're caring about something. It makes you forget that you're trying something. It makes you forget that others are not yourself. You know? And makes and gives you a, a way of forgetting about patience. And gives you a way about forgetting... Um, how to adapt. So, Dogen Zenji says, From ancient times, people who study Buddha Dharma either reside alone in grass huts or else practice with others in temples. People who reside alone are often haunted by various demons and spirits. Whereas those who practice together rarely are disturbed by such demons. Before having clarified the passageways and blockages within the Buddha way, it is vain and extremely folly to maintain a solitary dwelling. How could this not be a mistake? Now, always practicing the way by staying day and night in the zendo. So he says, on the long platform which means in the old zendos, well, not even the old zendos, but in the old, the traditional zendos, they still exist, that um, often the term isn't even zendo, it's called a soldo, which means the sangha hall. And so there's a platform with a cupboard on it, and that's where you live. You live at your seat in the zendo. It's one tatami length with a cupboard on one side. So you sleep there, and you eat there, and you sit zazen there. 
and all your belongings are in that little cupboard. The top is for your stuff, bottom's for your futon. So he says the long platform, which, which in Japanese is tan. Staying day and night on the long platform in the temple, demons cannot disturb us and evil spirits cannot haunt us. Truly we are good spiritual friends and excellent companions. I used to, when I was younger, I always wanted to live in an apartment because I thought it must be really safe to be surrounded by people. Um there weren't a lot where I was in Central California. There weren't tons of like apartments. Like people didn't really live in apartments, um, and uh, but there would be a couple, and I'd be like, or I'd see them on TV. I'd see like New York on TV or something like that. I'm like that looks cool. You get to take an elevator to where you live. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I don't think there's an elevator in this town where I grew up. Yeah. And then there's one other thing I wanted to read, but I have to find it. Okay, here we go. Zen practice is not to try to have an effective practice based on one's own criteria and to clarify the great matter ahead of others. I think that's a really interesting phrasing, to clarify the great matter ahead of others. That there's this, um, you know, you ever walk with a group and one person's particularly slow. And I always find myself being this person that's kind of straddled in the middle because I have a couple friends that would be oblivious and just tear ahead. And then I don't want them to get out of sight, but I also don't want to just like take off. And I'm always kind of looking back to the person that's behind, you know. And to think about that in terms of the way that we're relating to um, our practice. What do we accomplish if um, we've arrived at a relationship to the self that leaves us feeling that we're not in communion with the Sangha? So this is one of the things I've been trying to pick on a little bit lately, this kind of hero's endeavor. You know, rather than this um, becoming one that is engaged in um, creating and sustaining a, a harmonious community. I had this idea today. Uh, when, when I was... Uh, 30 I went to this Tibetan retreat and there was this teacher named Yangtze Rinpoche and he came and he led this first day of meditation and he said okay now you're going to visualize the merit field in the merit field you have your lineage masters and the five blah 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 Buddhas and I'm just like what 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 are you talking about and then my friend who was a a nun at the time she came to me and she's like he doesn't know that we don't know how to do that you know and I thought, well, he should know that we don't know how to do that. And then there was a moment today during morning service where I go, you know, gratefully we offer this virtue to all beings. Ji, whole, san, shi, and nothing. 
you know, maybe one other person. And I'm looking at the people on my left and right, and they're going through their books. And I'm like, he doesn't know that they don't know how to do that. (laughs) (laughs) And he should know that they don't know how to do that. You know, but I have this idea, when I tried to figure out what a good service was going to be, I... uh, I found that information here, you know, on this end. And I didn't really even stop to think, like, has that ever been... Do people... Are people familiar with the all Buddhas in in Japanese? Have they done that before? You know, and I actually... By prioritizing my vision, I created a disturbance, you know? So, yeah, I do request, you know... I do feel responsible and I apologize for creating a disturbance and I request your patience with that, you know? And I think it's a good thing to be able to do to, you know, not be sitting there resenting that, you know, you don't know what page you're on or that there's people talking on the porch or something like that. And at the same time, there's an education going in this direction as well, you know? I'm just like, okay, next time make sure everybody knows what you're doing before you start doing it. You know, this might sound like a not dramatic or dazzling talk, (laughs) but um, I think it really gets to the subtle heart of the difference between, you know, kind of the practice of the independent yogi and the kind of community practice like we're doing in the Zen tradition. Yes, I'm discerning appearance and reality. Yes, I'm looking at my interior narrative, my interior world, and I'm trying to figure out all the ways that I'm relating to things that compound or create unnecessary suffering for myself. And, you know, like how in Tibetan Buddhism they'll say, you know, there's wisdom and then there's the method. And the method is always compassion. You know? So to always just have that common denominator in that zazen practice, in that kitchen practice, in that serving practice, in that eno practice, in that here for the day but not in the session practice, to always be, you know, this basic presumption of like, I'm here to love all sentient beings, you know, including this one. So, you know, the flavor of awakening in this school is really the moments that we're sharing together, you know. And those are what's going to stand out to us more than some kind of, you know, like epiphanies are fine, you know. But, you know, every time Rob has come up here and put this little microphone in front of me for the past, I don't know, seven years or so. I could have... I could have... not pretended like that wasn't happening. You know? I could have said, thanks so much. You know? And every little time, over seven years, you know, that thanks so much is really um, growing the Buddha field. So this is what we're talking about when Dogen says, you know, um, our conduct is the Buddha way. 
in doing that, you're divesting from the world with like the kind of blinders on, you know. But that education is happening, so much of the stuff is happening in a couple of different directions. Yeah. So, I could just say, the Zen student really cares about others and prioritizes others all the time. And that ain't it. Because your precondition could be to maniacally prioritize others all the time because of the way that you were encouraged to be. You know? So that would be bad medicine, you know. So uh, uh, Barry Majid from uh, uh, Ordinary Mind Zendo, and I think Mid Mid Midtown or Upper Manhattan, he says, uh, you know, teaching this stuff is kind of like being a dermatologist. If something's too dry, you try to figure out how to wet it, and if something's too wet, you figure out how to dry it. You know, so we're doing a little bit of a assessment of what's going on inside. How? Wh what are the ways that we're driving ourselves nuts? You know, there are ways that I'm trying to put forth my vision of sashin, and I'm creating a little bit of chaos in doing that. You know, and then there's a way that I'm really uh, uh, feeling this heavy responsibility to to have everything all sorted out, and that's not very reasonable for me either. You know? So to think, you know, if you were your own child, and you, what advice would you give yourself about the appropriate amount of being there for others and the appropriate amount of being there for yourself. I never hung up the speckles. I made them. I almost did good. Um, usually for a session, um, we don't do Q&A, but um, I need your help today. So um, if you can give, if you have any questions, um, and if you can uh, ask a question knowing that it's a session day. And let that influence your cadence <laughs> and your subject matter things. Because if I stop talking now, I will be further ruining the schedule. <laughs> but um, I'm left without um, a lot of uh, verbiage coming up from my own side, if you've noticed. <laughs> so if you wanted to help me, give you the talk that you want. Um, I will gladly accept your help. Yeah.
a different approach, facing inwards, our cushions are moved out a little bit, and so there's a lot of little changes that you know, everyone is coming into, like, oh, we're doing this, oh, we're doing that, oh, it's like mm -hmm. a shorter period like that. How many times has a intentional disruption to your normal practice helped to either provide a mirror to what you're doing, like, mm -hmm. what are you doing? Hey, let's shake it up so you can see what you're doing again. Yeah. Or you know, has that been a help or a hindrance? You know, I I came from a I came from a school where. Um, you know, at San Francisco Zen Center, things didn't happen differently too often. So when they did, it was kind of uh, rare. And in its rareness, it was um, a good opportunity for like an adjustment. I remember when Paul Howler used to come lead sessions at Tassahara, he would start doing little things that the other teachers didn't do, like have us facing in. He would have us chant the Emejuku Kanangyo, like, lightning fast like 33 repetitions in the middle of the day you know um and uh people would be a little bit furious you know um uh, some of them you know uh so there's a way in which being consistent can create a lot of harmony and create that kind of home feeling you know like um Actually, today's breakfast was a very traditional breakfast where I trained, you know, and there's like the smoothness of the brown rice, which I actually neglected to tell Colin that the brown rice was impressively smooth. Um, and uh, the uh, sesame soybeans and that like, you know, acidic, sweet, you know, pickle, um, there's a way that that um, creates this feeling of familiarity that can feel very um, make the world feel like home you know for me I don't know about how much it does for the rest of you <laughs> you know <laughs> um, and but that kind of consistency you know or the extent that you've experienced consistency in some of the forms here or you know by not things like not changing incense brands you know, or something like that, and you're like, that's, that's, it smells like Zen, you know, it smells like practice, yeah, and there's little things here that, you know, things change, but there's a lot of things that haven't changed in a long time, yeah, um, I was looking at these little plaques that were all etched, I'm like, Joe Hall made those, you know, that was a long time ago, um, and, um, So if we're kind of shaking it up all the time, you defeat the purpose of shaking it up because then you're just being a chaos person, which I think I might be guilty of from time to time. I'm sorry for my impact on you <laughs> for surfing. <laughs> um, uh, so yeah, I think, you know, like so many things, it's, uh, it's good to do sometimes, sometimes. Yeah, I mean, ChatGPT seventeen is going to change my job, and I'm going to have to get used to it. So, uh, mm -hmm. you know, uh, what is home? What is what we're used to when things keep changing? So, yeah. uh, how do you 
prevent things from being uh, all chaotic and how do you prevent things from not ever changing? Yeah, well, you, the, you know, it's like that koan where it's like, if it's cold, let the cold kill you. And if it's hot, let the hot kill you. So there's this kind of like, you know, um, one of my basic zazen instructions lately is don't don't sit in the desire of wanting things to change and don't sit in the desire of wanting things to stay the same but still in your life you can avail yourself to the joys of you know that good old thing that you love you know i would love to make the cinnamon toast at that goat place a daily routine for me um uh the place across the street from Amy's that used to be Zen. Um, what's it called? Civil Goat. Civil Goat. A terrible name. It's, um, sorry if anyone here owns Civil Goat. <laughs> <laughs> Not crazy. But, <laughs> um, uh, but uh, their cinnamon toast is excellent. You know, And so there's little things you can do that bring you a lot of joy. You know, like Hercule Poirot with his little eggs. Um, the Agatha Christie... Uh, 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 detective he ate, he ate um, eggs <laughs> and you like them just so you know so there's little things you can do but just to hold that very very lightly you know like um, the uh, uh, non-dual teacher Nisargadatta Maharaj said uh, um, all of you people you you want what you don't have and you don't want what you have, just switch it. <laughs> and so, you know, and this isn't to like, you know, anchor yourself in into harmful situations or something like that or keep yourself, you know, in, in unhelpful or harmful dynamics or to resign yourself to um, a kind of a fear-based, I'm not going to try anything new or something kind of thing. It's not quite that, but it's just like before you act, just like actually land in exactly what's going on and say this is what's happening you know it's kind of like you know if you've ever had um like an anxiety attack or if you've ever um like i tried uh to smoke weed a couple of times i thought it would be a good idea because people love it um <laughs> and uh the times that i've tried it i'm just like my body does not feel like it belongs on earth. It feels like I can't. I don't know if I'm itchy or numb or I, I'm standing up is uncomfortable, sitting down is uncomfortable. And there's this way you have to kind of like orient yourself. If you're like, have had a substance that is making you uncomfortable or if you um, are having a panic attack. Actually, they're very similar feelings. And there's this way you have to orient yourself. It's like, okay, little Koji, yeah, this is your pillow. You're in Austin. This is your little house over here, and uh, no one's coming to get you, and everything's okay, you know. And you got to kind of orient yourself. And there's this, but what you orient yourself to is with you're actually orienting, orienting yourself to actuality, you know. And so, in the midst of an arising of emotion around change, where you're orienting yourself to is the actuality of the change. So you could be like, okay. This is what's happening. You know, instead of kind of this like denial-based struggle, you know, um, or shouldn't. Shouldn't's not so helpful. Shouldn't doesn't really have much to do with anything that is a starting point. 
you know. Um, yeah, does that make sense? Okay. Oh, yeah. We can do one more. Do we need to talk more? <laughs> Yeah, yeah. I think we only do half of that. I think we don't do the I'm gonna win. I can't I can't think of a I can't think of a part of Zen that is the I'm gonna win. Now, um there is um you know there is a mode of disengagement um with the community if the community is harmful. You know, or a mode of like, kind of like, not not continually making space for some. You know, like uh, Haku and Zenji said, if a person does not have the mind of the way, they cannot be at the monastery. You know, so there is not that. You know, it's like it's not like no child is left behind. You know, it's like um, because you because that is also community care. You know, it's like I was. I think I was saying this like last week, like. Um, Let's say you receive like some kind of um, harmful or unfortunate kind of speech or interaction where you actually, that feels like, you know, at the worst abusive or at at the best disrespectful, you know. If you can metabolize that and handle it and just be like, they're going through something, it's okay. Um, That might seem fine, but there's actually a way that... um, working that out or having a dialogue about it is good for the community. You know, because otherwise people are kind of get to exist kind of unchecked, you know. Um, and it gets really tricky and, and it, gets, it gets rarer the more senior that you are, that you get the gift of that feedback, you know. And um, I was thinking about this like uh, I, had, I had that realization that I had all these kind of like cuckoo ideas about how to do things and people are like, okay, we can do it like that. And then I'm like, 
oh no, when you have this outfit on, it makes it a lot less likely that people are going to tell you no. You know, and that's a big responsibility, and that's something that I have to, you know, pre pre preempt or something like that. You know, um, so yeah, we it, there's a, and that's actually what boards of directors are for. <laughs> you know, to actually to uh, create accountability in a in a in an accountability vacuum of hierarchy. Yeah. Um, so, uh, but I think I think uh, in this practice we're all trying to cross the finish line at the same time. Yeah, you just stand there and wait, and we all like hold hands, and uh, the ribbon stretches across to all of us. You know. <laughs> I'm like I'm not even being funny. Take it. I don't deserve it. I actually want an answer. Well, you know, there's um, it's not that there's no ends of sufferings or no you know reductions of sufferings or no you know arriving in peace you know it's just like and but another day is another problem you know so it's just arriving you know ending suffering and arriving at peace continually over and over and over and over and over again you know so that it's like the thing that we talked about last week it's like it's not about dying in zazen it's about when the negativity arrives, it arises like a thief entering an empty house. Yeah. So, um, that, this just reminds me so much of this African proverb. Um, if you want to go fast, go alone. If you want to go far, go together. Mm-hmm. Um, and my experience with like hunter-gatherers who are nomadic mm-hmm. like, and seeing that they're, they're caring for elderly people um, or sick people, you know, it might mean not moving when you mm-hmm. would otherwise move or it might be moving slower yeah um, and just I think it goes beyond Zen mm-hmm. to like being a human yeah. yeah I mean all Zen is is trying to figure out like how to have you know creating a culture around having a successful go of this you know um, and yeah like the Dalai Lama says if you want to be happy serve you know um, and just one last thing that I want to mention that both Anne and Jane reminded me of. There's, um, I've been reminded of it twice and I've forgotten it twice. Um, I used to fake being bumbling. I thought it was like a cool Zen master brand. And now it's real. <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, oh, oh, um, you know, in my life, I kept feeling um, kind of crestfallen or let down by like my life situation or my environment, and I always responded by that by to that by leaving and entering a new situation. So I'm at X monastery, and I don't care for X monastery. So I'm gonna go up to the Pacific Northwest, and that didn't work. So I'm gonna, you know, move in with so and so and try to have a romance with them, and that didn't work. And so I'm gonna go back to Austin, and that didn't work. So I'm gonna go back to Zen Center. And that didn't work, so I'm going to go, you know, blah, blah, blah. And actually, COVID was the first thing to actually really slow me down because I just couldn't relocate for three years. 
you know um and that uh having to stay in one place i'm just like oh shit like meaning arises when you invest in a community and invest in a place you know and it's not like there's this like the the ground needs to be cultivated where you are and you're it's not about hopping into some kind of ideal situation it's about working and developing your relationships developing your friendships developing your your role in your practice place and and establishing yourself in the path that you're on um and i think it's a hallmark of um a, a kind of cultural impatience you know, especially if you were born into the privilege and positionality where you were told that you actually get to have everything you can imagine. You know, and that was a big disservice that I received. Like, you get, you can get whatever you put your mind to. It's not true. You know, and actually you have to like, there's a lot of stuff that you don't get to have. You know, and what you do have, you have because you actually are creating the causes for it all. And so we're creating the causes of uh, a uh, harmonious community all the time. Okay. Thank you so much.